Gi, he says, the theme of Deuteronomy chapter 12 is that Israel's permitted only one place to worship. Later in the history of Israel, God chose Jerusalem as the place where the temple was to be built. They were to go there to worship God. Why didn't God permit the worship in every other place? I think the reason's obvious. There was idolatry in the land, and they were commanded to destroy it. Because they did not destroy it, they were commanded to assemble in one place of worship. This unified their worship and brought them closer together as a nation. They were one when they went up to the feasts of Jerusalem. Believers do not meet in one place to worship God today. We meet around one person, and that one person is the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, there's a lot for us to take from this chapter. It's always good and surprising how often the Old Testament has so much for us to apply. But Deuteronomy chapter 12 begins with a cleaning of the house. A clearing, if you would. They needed to be careful to observe what God had for them. And the first thing God told them to do was clean house. God's redeemed Israel. He's already saved Israel. We've already seen the Passover, the Passover lambs being slain, the innocent blood being shed and protecting them. But now they still needed to obey the Lord their God. They've been redeemed. They've been saved. But if they want to be blessed, they needed to pay attention and obey. And we can be reminded, some of the last chapters in Deuteronomy reminded us of the fact that the nation of Israel was a stiff-necked people. A group of stubborn individuals. I'm sure none of us can relate, right? None of us are stubborn. Our kids are all stubborn, but none of us are all that stubborn or stiff-necked. Israel needed to continually humble themselves and obey the Lord their God if They wanted to taste of the blessings. If they wanted to position themselves under the spout where both his glory and his blessings come out, Israel needed to obey. And we find this even in the Old Testament and New Testament for us. The young adults are going through a small series through Psalm chapter 1. And notice verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. If you want to be blessed, you got to obey God's word. you got to stay away from the ungodly, the sinners, and the scornful. And you need to put on, you need to begin delighting in God and his word and meditating in it day and night. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's writing to a church, a group of believers, and yet he tells them in verse 17, But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him, so flee sexual immorality. Just because we're saved doesn't mean, oh, there's no work to be done. No, if we want to keep tasting of God's blessings, we need to be obedient to him. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you. To walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul tells his son in the faith, a pastor in 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue 
righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. One last verse on this idea that yes, many of us here, hopefully most of us here, are saved, but there's still work to be done. Christ has done the work of salvation. Now we join together with the Lord, begin that process of sanctification. It's both us and the Lord working together so that we can continue to be sanctified and taste of God's blessings. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 12, it says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Again, salvation's done, paid in full. Jesus said it on the cross. But now our work is beginning if we want a taste of that promised land. If we want to taste all that of the blessings God has for us on this life and all the rewards that we can taste of on the other side of eternity. So he starts off back in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 2 through 4. He says to utterly destroy all the places. You need to destroy it on the high mountains, on the hills, under every green tree. That's a lot of trees, right? That's a lot of idolatry. Under every tree, there's idolatry hiding. Verse 3, destroy their altars, break their pillars, burn their wooden images. Cut down the carved images and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. And just as Israel needed to clean house in Canaan, we need to clean house with the past idolatry in our lives. We, we need to clean house. We must destroy whatever that past idolatry was in our life. We need to destroy it. And in order for Israel to be able to truly worship the one true God, they needed to destroy all the places of pagan worship throughout this promised land. You cannot worship the pagan idols and worship the one true God. I'm sure most of the spouses, all the spouses would agree tonight. You cannot tell your spouse, I love you, but I also love the receptionist. Oh, right? No, no, no. That don't fly. It's the same thing with the Lord our God. And we try to say, Lord, I love you, but I also have these idols on the side that I love and worship. It doesn't work that way. God has a specific way that he is to be worshipped. And any other way trying to worship him, except for the way he has prescribed, is corrupt. Now for us, we don't have to go to a temple. We don't have to bring an animal and slit its throat and watch it die and bleed out. I'm sure many of you are grateful for that. But John chapter 4.24, it tells us the way to worship God. It tells us God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It's worshiping him in spirit and in truth. We can't worship him with a bunch of lies, with a bunch of idolatry on the side. We must worship him in spirit, but also according to the truths of God's word. 
So they were to clean house. Then they're instructed in verse 4, hey, you're not going to worship the Lord your God with such things. You can't mix all these idols and now bring it and say, hey, I'm worshiping God here. Then he tells them in verse 5, but you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place. And there you shall go. So God's prescription for true worship is to destroy, break down, burn down, and cut down any remnants from past pagan worship. And then they were to seek the place where God chooses. I believe the same is for us today. We need to come to the Lord continually clearing out our past lives, our past idols, and then asking God, God, what is the church that you're choosing for me to come and worship you? Lord, what is the church where your name is dwelling there, where your presence is dwelling there? We shouldn't just attend a church because they keep the AC at the optimal temperature. Or they have the best tostados or the best coffee, right? They have the best kids ministry. Ah, the worship, goosebumps every time, right? No, we should choose a place based upon this is where God is calling me to be. This is where God is calling me to worship. This is where his presence and his name is exalted. Verse 6 and 7, there you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand. Your vowed offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your household, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Notice what true worship looks like. It's going to the place that God has chosen for you, and then we are to bring offering, sacrifices, and tithes. We're to bring our whole family, and then we're to rejoice before the Lord our God. Sacrifices. Is this what we have in mind when we come to church? Do we see church as a place where we bring our sacrifices, where we sacrifice for the Lord? Or do we think that it's, right, BK, have it your way. That, that's why I go to church, right? I go there and exactly what I want, exactly what I feel, that's what they are to do for me. Not, not the case at all. In Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will Find it. It goes in line with the last song we sung in worship, Romans 12, 1, that our lives would be a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to the Lord. True biblical worship demands sacrifice. And why would God demand sacrifice from us? Because he gave the sacrifice first. We love because he first loved us. The only reason we can eat with him and rejoice with him and have fellowship with God is because he sacrificed his only begotten son for us. How, how dare we say, I, I'm not going to bring any sacrifice to the church. I've been there. I've done that. I used to sacrifice, but I don't sacrifice anymore. I've done enough sacrifice. It's not biblical. 
Is church only a place where we receive? Is that biblical? Or is church a place of worship? A place of sacrifice? And and don't get it twisted. Church is not to be a place of pain and punishing ourselves. Where we're whipping or thronging ourselves as some used to. But we bring our sacrifices to the Lord. Sacrifices of service. Sacrifices of praise. Our tithe. Our offering. Giving the Lord our best. And then we get to have sweet fellowship and breaking of bread with the Lord first and foremost. And also with the Lord's people. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into this later on. But in verse 7 notice he says you and your households. How God's mindset is church to be a place where we bring our household, where we bring our family. We'll get to that later on, but verse 8 and 9, it says, You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. Every man doing what's right in his own eyes. It's a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for disaster in a nation. In Judges 21-25, it tells us in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In Proverbs chapter 12-15, it tells us the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he who heeds counsel is wise. And just as the nation of Israel was destroyed because everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and just as a fool follows the path of destruction because he believes everything's right in his own eyes, so churches fall and crumble when every person's just doing what's right in their own eyes. When church becomes a place where we just try to please every single person that comes instead of saying, Lord, How are we going to please you? Lord, what have you commanded us to do in pleasing you? And each church has a different flavor. It's the blessing we have here in the U.S. The blessing and the curse, if we're honest, right? But if you want a super Pentecostal dance the whole night away church, right? You you can find that. You want to dance like David danced? It was a parade. It wasn't a church service. But hey, you can go do that. You can go find that. You want a church that has this, that has that, has the third... You can go and find that. But church is not a place where each person comes and says, this is what I want. BK, have it my way, right? No, it's not the case. We need to see, Lord, what are you calling us to do through church government, through church governance. And then it continues to flow into the lifeblood of the church. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15, I write to you that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Church belongs to God. It doesn't belong to his people. Church is the house of God, the church of the living God, and it's all about being a pillar and ground of truth. It's about worshiping God, not worshiping or uplifting ourselves like much of modern-day worship. It's not about uplifting or worshiping an individual or a family like some churches creepily do, right? It's all about worshiping the Lord our God. 
It's not about what's most comfortable and most pleasing to me. It's, Lord, what do you demand for worship? Worship needs to be as God has instructed, not what every man or every woman sees as right in their own eyes. Verse 10 and 11, it says, But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety, then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you. Your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. God had a specific place where he would choose to make his name abide, and that's where the tabernacle would be located. Two different cities before it settled in Jerusalem, and then the temple would be there. It was to unify the people, as J. Vernon McGee mentioned, it unifies us. When we come here together and worship, we're unified under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. It also keeps us from getting too wacky and undoctrinal in our worship. Right? I'm sure I'm the only parent here, but parents, after that season of COVID, did you realize it was difficult taking your kids out to a restaurant once again? Seem like they had forgotten how to behave outside of the house, right? And for us, whether you like it or not, we need human interaction and we need holy human interaction because we'll forget how to act. We'll forget how to behave. We'll forget how to dress and how to worship the Lord our God. We come to church to be unified and to be reminded, man, that's how a believer is supposed to act. Man, this is how I'm supposed to act. Ah, I see the way that guy loved his wife. Lord, forgive me. Help me love my wife better. Oh, you see how, how gracious that person was with their kids? Lord, help me to be more gracious to my kids. For us, there's not a tabernacle or temple. But as we mentioned earlier, I believe there's a specific church that he wants to call you to. And that church is where you are to go and bring your sacrifice, your offering, and your tithe. That church is where you are to go to fellowship and rejoice before the Lord your God and before his people. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And in Hebrews chapter 10, we'll see the New Testament version or reminder here for us. You guys are here on a Wednesday, so I don't know if you need this reminder, but they're trying to bring COVID back already. So maybe it's good for all of us to have this reminder. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We need to more than ever continue to assemble together to stir up love and good works in one another, to exhort one another all the more. And this takes place in a biblical church. 
a biblical and true church. Now, there's nothing wrong gathering together with believers, gathering together at your home, gathering together out on the boat. If you're going to do that, you can invite me too, right? It's good to gather together in different places. But a church has very specific details attached to it. A couple of these specific details, biblical details. Number one, a church is a group of people that confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. No, your CrossFit gym isn't going to church, right? Your jujitsu gym is not going to church. No, it is a place that confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Biblically, a church has church leadership. There's a group of men, men who are pastors, elders, and deacons. That's a part of a biblical church. A biblical church, Acts 2.42, continues through the word of God, and they continually have corporate fellowship, corporate communion, corporate prayer, and corporate baptism. So if you're just gathering together with your buddies on your boat, unless you are continually having corporate fellowship and corporate communion and corporate baptism and corporate prayer and you have a group of elders and pastors and deacons and you're continually going through the word of God, it's not a church. This is what church is and we need to attend a church in order to stir up love and good works in one another. Church needs lots of sacrifice, but church is to have a lot of rejoicing. Churches to have a lot of rejoicing. Notice verse 12. It's a command. Verse 12, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. Family, this is a command. God is commanding that the people rejoice before the Lord. That rejoicing would be taking place from every individual that is there worshiping him at that church or at that place. That word rejoice, biblically, is to be glad, to brighten up, to be merry, to take pleasure in. In the kids' dictionary, that's where I go to get my definitions, to rejoice is to give joy to to feel great delight, to make glad. Family, do we rejoice before the Lord our God? As you came into church today, did you rejoice? Were you rejoicing? Were you brightening up? Were you merry? Were you brightening up your other brother and sister? Were you giving joy? Were you helping others be glad? Do you have that joy of the Lord? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is? The fruit, of, the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the first way it's demonstrated? Joy. Joy. Family, there needs to be joy in the house of the Lord. If not, then the Spirit of the Lord is missing. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. And in the first way love is demonstrated is through joy. Brothers and sisters, do we have joy? It's funny here, sometimes on Sunday mornings, you have some people clap, some people don't clap, some people try to start a clap and it fails, sometimes they try to start a clap and it works. It's okay to clap in church. It's okay to be excited and happy and merry at church. 
Now, if you're forcing it every time or you're interrupting every song, it's different. But if the Spirit stirs it up, it's okay. It's okay to clap and be excited and happy that we're saved, happy that we're not going to hell, happy that we're not the men and women that we used to be. Charles Spurgeon, he says, all Christian duties should be done joyfully, but especially the work of praising the Lord. I have been in congregations where the tune was Dolores, and to the very last degree, where the time was so dreadfully slow. And altogether, the spirit of the people seemed to be so damp, so heavy, and so dead that we might have supposed that they were meant to prepare their minds for a hanging rather than for blessing the ever-gracious God. That's Spurgeon, man. You can get mad at him. He's dead. He's gone already, right? When we come to church, are we excited? Are we excited? One of my favorite quotes, one of the most gracious men I've ever met, Bill Gallatin, he saw a guy that was all down, and he goes, hey, are you saved? He goes, yeah. Tell your face that. Right? He literally said that. He's an old man. You get away with things as you get older, right? Are we joyful? Are we joyful? Are we excited to be in the house of our God? Are we excited to come and that he's willing to take our offering, that he's willing for us to gather together? Another quote from Spurgeon, he says, We ought not to worship God in a half-hearted sort of way, as if it were now our duty to bless God. But we felt it to be a weary business, and we would get through it as quickly as we could, and have done with it, and then the sooner the better. No, no. All that is within me will bless his holy name. Come, my heart, wake up and summon all the powers which wait upon thee. Mechanical worship is easy, but it is worthless. Come and rouse yourself, my brother. Rouse thyself, O my own soul. Do we not see that throughout the book of Psalms? You see David, and he's down. He's sad. My bed was full of tears, right? In his artistry, he's saying his whole bed is floating in his room on how sad he is. But then he stirs himself up. He reminds himself there's so much to be grateful for. There's so much to be joyful about. And our worship should not be half-hearted. Our God is commanding the nation of Israel that when they come and worship him, when they come and bring their sacrifices, when they come and break bread together, they are to be rejoicing. Let's turn to Romans chapter 12. And what we're going to see is it's the same commands for the New Testament church. The same exact commands. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing to be made glad, to be married in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. 
I think verse 15 is so important for us because church should also not be as creepy as Disney World is sometimes, right? Have you ever been there at Disney and all of a sudden you're like, this is getting creepy, man. Every worker has this creepy smile. Every worker is looking at me. They want my money. They're really happy about it, right? What's going on here? A church is a place with both mourning, weeping, but rejoicing and being excited. We could think of Hannah. She comes to the church, and what is she doing? She's weeping. And what does the spirit-filled pastor tell her? Woman, why are you drunk here at the house of the Lord, right? No, there's times of mourning. There's times of weeping in church. But as believers, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 tells us, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice Family, we have eternity imprinted on our hearts. We have eternity imprinted in our minds. We should be filled with the Holy Spirit, and joy is to be within us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, rejoice always. Three letters to three different churches, and each of them are commanded to rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. And guess what we'll be doing in heaven? Rejoicing. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. His wife has made herself ready. We will be rejoicing. Why? Because blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Family, can you see that? Are you excited about heaven? Are you excited? Do you rejoice? Is your joy spreading throughout your home, throughout the room, throughout the people that you're with? Right? If you're not excited about being a believer, why would anybody else want to be a believer? If you don't bring joy into a room as a Christian, well, I don't want to be like that guy. He seems down all the time. He's like sad he has to go to church every Sunday. I don't know what's up with that, right? No, we need to have that Joy. Have that joy. Be rejoicing. Back to Deuteronomy 12, verse 13 and 14. It says, Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses, in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. Once again, biblical worship has a specific prescription. In the Old Testament, offering and sacrifice had to happen in the prescribed way, at the place of God's choosing, and with the Levite of God's choosing as well. Verse 15 and 16, it says, However, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your heart desires. Amen to that. According to the blessing... Of the Lord your God, which he has given you, the unclean and the clean may eat of it, of the gazelle and the deer alike. Only you shall not eat the blood, you shall pour it out on the earth like water. Here God is letting the nation of Israel know any type of meat for the home, any type of meat that did not have to do with an offering could be slaughtered and eaten wherever. You didn't have to wait even till you were ceremonially clean in order to eat that meat. The only thing you could not do was eat the blood with the meat. Life is in the blood, Scripture tells us, and God wanted all life to be given to him. 
This is why the blood was poured out onto the grass and onto the earth as an offering to the Lord their God. Verse 17 through 19, it says, You may not eat within your gates the tithe of your grain or your new wine or your oil of the firstborn of your herd or your flock of any of your offerings by which you vow your free will offering or the heave offering of your hand. But you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite who is within your gates. And you shall rejoice, once again rejoicing, before the Lord your God in all to which you put your hands. Take heed to yourself that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in your land. Any sacrifice, any type of offering that had a portion which you would eat and you'd give the rest to God needed to be eaten in fellowship with the Lord and at times with fellowship with the Levite. Whenever you see the the word tithe in the Old Testament, it's usually how the Levites would live. They would live off the tithes of the people. This is how God would take care of them. So he says in verse 19, pay attention that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in your land. And I don't know if you've realized how often those words, your son and your daughter, your son and your daughter, how beautiful is that? Our God's desire is to have a relationship with our children and with our employees, if you would, right? Your male and your female servants. They were also commanded to be a part of what was going on. And for the parents here, there's no rhyme or reason if you have a child living in your home that you don't bring them to church. No matter what age they are. If they're under your house, you're paying the bills. There's no rhyme or reason why you don't bring them to church or at least make sure that they are attending a church. And I've heard it before. Oh, I don't, I don't want to force church on them. I just don't want to force, force church on them. Does this apply to everything else in their lives? To that healthy diet? Oh, I don't want to force. They, they just eat ice cream and candy whenever they want, you know. I just don't want to force a healthy diet on them. How about school? They really don't like school. I just don't want to force that on them. So they just stay at home all day, watch video games, watch TV. They do whatever they want. How about showers, parents? I don't want them to have a bad view of showers, right? I have PTSD with the showers, so they don't have to shower, right? For those middle school boys, you parents, right? Deodorant, do you force that upon your sons, right? Axe, I don't want them to have a bad relationship with deodorant. No. We do these things that are important and that are needful for our kids. We make sure they do it whether they like it or not. How much more the spiritual mandate of going to church And of taking in the word of God. Our God desires to meet with our kids. May we not get in the way by making excuses. And not bringing our children and our immediate family to the Lord our God. We see this all throughout scripture. Verse 20. It says when the Lord your God enlarges your border. As he has promised you. And you say let me eat meat. Because you long to eat meat. You may eat as much meat. As your heart desires. Family, I found a new life verse as I was studying here. (laughs) If you need a verse to remind yourself to go to Brazilian Steakhouse, right? Deuteronomy 12.20. 
I texted it earlier to Ken Graves, and he goes, oh, that's sweet, sweeter than honey, right? Good, good verse. Verse 21, he says, if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, then you may slaughter from your herd and from your flock, which the Lord has given you, just as I've commanded you, and you may eat within your gates as much as your heart desires. Just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten, the deer and the gazelle, they couldn't be sacrificed, so you may eat them. The unclean and the clean alike may eat them. This has to do with being ceremonially clean or unclean, not clean and unclean foods. Verse 23, only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life. You may not eat the life within the meat. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. You shall not eat it that it may go well with you and your children after you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Only the holy things which you have and your vowed offerings you shall take and go to the place which the Lord chooses. Again, family, the holy things, they, they belong in the house of God. And I think it's important for us. There's no doubt we're blessed with contemporary church and contemporary church setting that is not crazy traditional. But I think it's time for us to make church a holy thing once again. Make, make it a holy thing. Make it a sacred thing, something that is set apart. Something I've been noticing and doing some research on how to read the Bible more with the family one of the things it mentions for the parents is to read a physical Bible with your kids because you do all types of things on your phone. You do, right, not necessarily sinful things, but you do unholy things on your phone. You watch YouTube, you watch games, you watch movies, you play games. You do all sorts of things on your phone. Use a Bible so that your children can see this is something holy. This is something special that we're doing. And I think within church, perhaps comfort has creeped in a little bit too much. We say, hey, it's too much to carry, I bring a Bible, so I just read the Bible right off my phone. It's easy, it's convenient. I encourage you to make it a holy thing once again, to go out of all your way and do so much weight and bring a physical Bible. Read a physical Bible, treat it as something holy, and see what the Lord your God has to do for you. Again, you may have way more self-control than I do, but the phone... It's just too easy to go a bunch of other places. Oh, I got to remember to text this person. Oh, I got to remember to read this. Treat it as something holy. We're doing something holy here, something special here. You have a, an emergency. You're in a super windy day. Don't bring out the Bible. Bring out the phone, right? That's what it's there for, for baptisms at the beach. But may we, when we gather in church, when we come to study the Bible, I encourage you to bring a Bible. Verse 27 through 28, it says, You shall offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood, on the altar of the Lord your God. And the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall eat the meat, observe and obey all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. We've seen this all throughout Deuteronomy. Why does God give all these laws and commands? That it would go well for them. That their lives would be blessed. That they would be in the state of happiness. Not ups and downs based on emotion. But they'd be living in the blessed life. They'd be in the state of constant blessedness. No matter the ups and downs in their lives. And God's desire is that it will go well with you. Your children and your children's children. Verse 29 and 30 now there's a, one last great warning. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you 
the nations which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in your land, take heed to yourselves that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. There's a lot of sayings about how curiosity can be dangerous, right? Curiosity killed the cat, right? Sorry if you're a cat lover here, but curiosity can be dangerous. Those famous last words, what does this button do, right? There's a danger with curiosity. And here the Lord is saying, be careful that you don't start going down a path saying, hey, how did these nations serve their gods? What, what, what did these people do? Hey, what are these guys doing over there? Hey, what are they looking at on their phones? Be careful with that. Because it can lead you down a path where now you are ensnared. You are trapped in the same sin. And now it says God's going to do the same to them as he did to the nations before them. And now the Lord reveals one thing which he hates above all the other idolatry, above all the other idols, above all the other false gods. God tells us the one God that he absolutely hates. Verse 31, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord, which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. This is the false god, Molech. And Molech, they would have an idol with hands and they put a fire under him. And then they would literally sacrifice their babies upon this altar. And the people they would gather around, the way they would worship Molech is by screaming and yelling and offering their own children upon the altar. And they would scream and yell to drown out the yelling and the screaming of the small infants. There's no doubt that for us today in America, abortion is our Molech. This child murder in order to protect someone's state, having more sex, whether it's to be able to make more money, they see kids as a burden. God hates this. God absolutely hates this. He abhors it. And I think for us as believers, we do. We have to think about November and voting and things like that. And I think it's okay to be a one-issue type of voter. Because biblically, this is the one thing that God brings up above all the rest that he says he hates and abhors. These children have done nothing wrong. They've done nothing wrong. The most dangerous place for an American to be and live is in the womb. Most dangerous place. The highest likelihood of being murdered is there in a mother's womb. And sadly, Israel, they failed completely at abstaining and staying clear from Molech. Many of their kings, as you read through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, many of their kings went to Molech. David Guzik, he pulled this list up. He says, Solomon sanctioned the worship of Molech and even built an idol, a temple to this idol in First Kings 11.7. King Ahaz gave his own sons to Molech in Second Kings 16.3. One of the greatest crimes of the northern tribes of Israel was their worship of Molech. And this is what led to the Lord allowing Assyria to take them captive in 2 Kings 17.17. 17. 
The king Manasseh of Judah, he gave his son to Molech in 2 Kings 21.6. And even up to the days of King Josiah of Judah, Molech worship continued. But he destroyed that place. Again, the Lord, he hates this and Israel struggled with it. Israel did not obey the Lord, but may we obey the Lord in this. And now if it's something that's a part of your past, hey, the past is the past. We're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. But for so-called believers that say abortion's okay and all of this type of baby murder, child murder is okay, biblically I see no place where it can stand. Finally, in verse 32, he says, Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Be careful. Those who add and take away from Scripture, those that pull punches from Scripture, or those that add even more religiosity and weight to Scripture. It's the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees, they added more and more weight, more and more religiosity to Scripture. And the Sadducees, they kept taking things away from Scripture. I encourage you, read your Bibles. Read your Bibles for yourself. Study your Bibles for yourself. Read it to have that devotional life with the Lord. But also read it so that you know the truth. So that when people come and give you lies, they give you false doctrines, they give you counterfeits, you've had so much time with the real thing, you're able to tell right away something is off here. But may we begin to make church a holy thing once again. May we bring our offerings, may we bring our worship, may we break bread with one another, break bread with the Lord in his house, and may we begin rejoicing once again, rejoicing once again in the house of the Lord. So hey, worship team, if you guys can come up, and we'll stand and close and worship. If you need prayer, there'll be pastors up front. Maybe you're realizing you don't have so much joy anymore, right? I, I encourage you to ask yourself that question, hey, do you have any joy and look at the mirror when you're asking yourself that question, right? Man, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. Hey, let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, we just thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace, Lord. We have so much to be grateful for, Lord. We have so much to be thankful for, Lord. God, we pray that you'd help us, Lord, to count our blessings, God. And for any brother, any sister that is in that season of weeping and that season of mourning, Lord, I pray that we'd come alongside of them and mourn with them, weep with them in the storms of this life and the difficulties of this life. But Lord, I pray that we would also have the joy of the Lord. That the joy of the Lord would be our strength, Lord. That we would encourage you, we would bless you with that joy of the Lord. God, may people see that we're filled with you and they see the fruit of the Spirit within us that love, that joy, that peace, that patience, Lord, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. So, Lord, we just love you. We thank you so much, Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.